before we jump into unpacking that, I want to take a moment and ask the Lord to bless um, Mother's Day. And as we do that, I, I'm, uh, I'm aware and I want to try to acknowledge best I can that this is complex for many of you, probably for all of us in, in some ways, but just different layers to, to this day for so many of us and, and so many of you ladies in particular, but uh, I know that it, it's, it's, a, it's a joyous day in, in most of its ways, but it hits, it hits a lot of things. It hits a lot of um, emotions and memories and pain points, and so um, we don't want to pretend that it's just simply happy Mother's Day and hope you got some gifts and uh, get to relax. We understand that it brings up a lot, and so we know that there are those of you that are, are longing to be a mother and not sure that's going to happen for you the way that, that you had hoped. Uh, we know that there's others of you who this brings up the memory of losing your mother. Uh, others brings up the pain of, of your relationship with your mother because it wasn't good. Um, others of you uh, are, are mothers and are feeling the, the weight of, of your kids and, and your strained relationship or the fear. Uh, you, some of you are about to graduate some of your kids and send them off and, and there's just there's a lot that comes with all of that, and, and for many of you, it's, it's a combination of a whole bunch of those things, and so um, I just want to pray and, and, and give you just a quick word. I'm reminded of the story of Hagar, and if you don't know, she's sort of a minor character in the Old Testament, but it, she, she falls in the story of a bigger, uh, uh, in the midst with, with a couple of characters you do know, Abram and, and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and God promises them a son, and, and they, they don't. Uh, wait for him because they're old, and so uh, they, they end up taking things in their own hands and, and having a, a, a son with their, uh, their handmaid, Hagar. And so there, there's a lot to that story. Uh, she doesn't, we don't know much about her willingness to engage in that, but nonetheless, her master took her and had a son with her. And then when God does show up and do what he said he would do, uh, they kick her out. They, they send her out into the wilderness, and she meets, and she's there weeping and assuming they're going to die. They have no way to fend for themselves, her and her son. There, there's a mom weeping and, and unsure of what, how she's going to go forward and why the Lord would allow this to happen. And the Lord meets her there and speaks to her. And the big, the big idea, you should, you should read the story. It's in the, the later parts of, of Genesis. But um, the big idea is that the Lord sees. She felt all alone. She wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, and the big idea is the Lord sees. And so mamas, uh, I'm sure there's days, weeks, years where you don't know if anybody sees what you do sees how you're hurting, um, sees your anxieties, but um, the Lord saw Hagar, and he sees you. So I'm going to pray and, and ask that, that he would just remind you of that really personally today. God, I'm, I'm coming um, very aware that there's lots of, uh, lots of emotions, lots of memories, lots of joys, lots of pain. Um, and only you can, can meet us in the midst of all of that and be good in the midst of all that. And so I pray for those mamas that, that really just need to know that you see them and that you haven't abandoned them. I pray you would reassure them that you're going to work things out for, for your glory and ultimately for their good, even when we can't see it in this moment. Father, I pray for those who are longing to, to experience motherhood and, and uh, aren't sure that that's going to happen for Whatever reason may be, uh, maybe they're not married yet, maybe lack uh, of fertility, uh, we don't know. But I uh, pray you'd be near with them. I pray that you would um, speak identity and value over them for your kingdom's sake, well beyond uh, their picture of what motherhood would look like. Lord, I pray for all um, women and, and mothers in, in, in every way that I pray, I, mean, I, I believe, and I think if we're all honest, we would acknowledge that Moms are the most influential people in the world. They spend the most time with the kids, and they have just a huge shaping effect on, on what our world looks like going forward. And so I pray that moms would feel that today. I know that Satan wants to devalue them, whisper in their ear, and, 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 and make them seem like, feel like nobody sees, and it's not worth it, and it's not working. But, Father, we know differently. And so I pray that you would remind them of that and that you would give them a sweet sense of, of your love and your refuge this morning. Father... And for those that are, are competing with all those emotions of, of joy and gratitude and pain and loss and angst, I pray that, Father, you just be near. Uh, we bring them all before you, Lord. We thank you for mothers, 
Thank you that, that your image, thank you that you didn't just end with Adam and that you said, you know what, something's not well here. I need to add to this for my image to be fully uh, seen by the world. Adam needs a, needs a help me, someone who shows up, someone who comes alongside and plays the role of sustainer and life giver as you do, Lord. So I pray that women would feel that, know that, um, and, um, and we thank you for them. That's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Um, we are picking up. We skipped. When we did wisdom last week, we skipped uh, the, the passage about pleasure. And so we're going to dive in there today. Leo uh, Tolstoy, who was uh, a Russian author, he was the author of War and Peace, uh, one, of the, one of the most famous and, and considered one of the greatest authors uh, in history, um, wrote, said this. Um, he had a sort of a Solomon-like experience, if you know his story. He was on top of the world writing and, and being published and, and nominated for many awards. And then he had a, sort of a crisis of fate, crisis of life that, that led him to, to faith. I'm not holding him up as an example of some of the conclusions he came to I would not uh, endorse to you. But nonetheless, he went through this sort of like, what is life about sort of thing. And, and he wrote a lot after that. But he, he writes this. I want to start with this today. He says, people jump back and forth in pursuit of pleasures only because they see the emptiness of their lives more clearly than they do the emptiness of whichever new entertainment attracts them. So he says people jump back and forth from this pleasure to this pleasure because it, we're more acquainted with the, the emptiness in our life, this constant thirst, this constant longing, this constant drive, than we are with the emptiness of those pursuits that we think may give us fill. And so I think his insight is is really actually apparent. He says it in such a succinct way, but man, I think it's pretty undeniable, actually. He kind of captures in one short statement the, the whole of, of humanity's mess, doesn't he? He sort of, he sort of just puts into words uh, so much of what we're struggling with underneath the surface and what we see the world struggling with at large. And so I believe it's Solomon's goal in Ecclesiastes to, to actually expose both of those things. Exactly what Tolstoy said, I think Solomon's goal is to expose both the emptiness of the pleasures that we pursue and of our life. And, and I, think, I think Solomon is going to take the approach of, of, of exposing uh, all of the pleasures that we pursue so that we will eventually come to see the emptiness of our life. And so uh, that's, that's, I think, where he's headed, what his purpose with this really bizarre book is. It's a confusing book. If you've tried to read ahead, if you've tried to make sense out of it, it, it can be hard to wrap your mind around. It's written in a, in a peculiar way, but he has a purpose with it. And that purpose, I think, is to show us that, that we will not find meaning in this life here under the sun, that the earth does not offer us the, the, long, the fulfillment that our souls long for. And that, that idea of under the sun is, is important for us to keep in mind because what he's reminding us with implicitly with that is that we're created for something beyond the sun and that that something, that someone, gives us perspective on how we live our life under the sun. So let's see what he says this week. He, he comes right out and says in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, listen, I said in my heart, Come, I'm going to test you with pleasure. So this is sort of a, a shift, um, a decision, if you will. I don't know if you've had days like this. Some of you have had moments and seasons like this in your life where you just said, you know what, forget it. Probably more, you probably just had like afternoons and days. You're like, you know what, I'm going to indulge in whatever pleasure I want, right? The tech with the diet, right? I don't care. I'm going to have a lot of sugar, right? I'm going to eat whatever, like whatever, like whatever I feel like today. If I want to take a nap, I'm going to take a nap. Mamas, you should do that today. You should take a nap. You should enjoy some, some good food, right? This should be a day for you. It's not all wrong. We'll get to that later. But, but he, you've had those days where you just kind of go, you know what? Forget it, right? I, I'll just, I'm going to eat ice cream and, and for me, Reese's Cups and just, you know, like whatever, whatever. <laughs> Chad found me in my office the other, yesterday, was it, oh, Thursday. He walked by and I just bought a like a 10-pack of Reese's candy bars, and I got distracted. I was opening them, and then something came on my computer, and I, was, and I stopped, and I was, it looked like I was just hugging my Reese's, and I may have been. <laughs> I may have been, but I tried to play it off. Um, I don't think he got a picture, but anyway, I thought I'd go ahead and get ahead of that. Um, sometimes we just have, and, and so he says, listen, I just made that decision. I said in my heart, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do, and he says, I'm going to test you with pleasure. I, and, and listen, he's already in this angsty moment of, or this season of like, what is the point of life? What am I doing here? And he goes, you know what? Let's try pleasure. Let's give it a shot. So he says to himself, enjoy yourself. But he doesn't bury the lead. He comes right out and says, behold, 
This is also vanity. It's also vanity. If you're just joining us, vanity is the theme of this book. And, and, and the word vanity here in this, in this book, the way he's, he's, he's using it is, um, is sort of like fleeting or, or, or a vapor or a mist, if you will. A lot of translations will say meaningless, and that's helpful, but I don't think it gets to the full sum of the word because it, it's, sort of, it's not that it's not s- substantial at all. It's not that there's not good things about this life, but when we try to grab a hold of it, and, and sort of grasp it or, or tuck it away, it's like grabbing at smoke or at vapor. It, it's real. It's there. You can see it. You can even feel it, but you can't hold on to it with your hands. And that's, that's the theme of this book, is that everything he tries to pursue ends up being vanity or, or fleeting or, or a vapor. It's, it's momentary at best, and, and, and it's not substantial. So he says, I, I tried it wasn't worth it. But again, he's so kind to us, but not just making these general statements. Okay? If, if you're parents, you know when you tell kids something, you can tell them not to do something and maybe even tell them the why, but they still, we still have this inclination, or most of us do, to, to test the waters ourselves or to go ahead and try it out. We have to learn the hard way. So he's going to go ahead and walk us down the path, if you will. He's been there, done that, tried it all, and he's going he's gonna to say, okay, I, I know that I'm telling you you won't find fulfillment and pleasure, and I know that you think you can do it better than me, so let me go ahead and show you that it actually is empty. So that's what he is going to do. He said... In verse 2, I, so I started with laughter. I said of laughter, it's mad. It's, it's, it's not like it's good. We're going to see. These things are not all bad, but they're not filling. He says, so laughter, it's mad. And, and of pleasure, what use is it? What, what good were these things? Verse 3, he says, I searched my heart with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, how to lay hold on to folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of their life. So what's the point of life? Let me try alcohol. Let me, let me try. People seem to party. There's a season. Like, and, and, like, I'm, for me, this was starting in like junior high. There was like not a lot to do in my rural county. But like everybody's starting to like the point is to party, to get alcohol, to, to start drinking, even to doing drugs. Like, and, and, and I remember... Like when we moved to uh, St. Louis, there was there was people that that just um, that just drank like responsibly, and they didn't they didn't get drunk. I never really known people like that. Like where I grew up, like if you drank, it was to get drunk. Like you're buying the cheapest beer so you can drink the most, and you're trying to get sloshed. Like that's the only. There's no in between. There's no like having one or two. And so it it was hard to sort of reconcile because I was also taught in a lot of. Um, you know, in, in most church circles, that alcohol itself was a sin, not drunkenness, but alcohol itself. And so it was hard for me to reconcile, like, okay, I, I can be a Christian and, and enjoy this as a good gift. And we'll come back to that, but, but you need to know that alcohol itself is not a, it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a gift given to us by God to, to enjoy, but there's boundaries, as we'll see. But he goes, you know what, I'm going I'm to try that. So, so he leans into alcohol. And he says, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. Now, we know that, that Solomon was a wise man. That's part of what marked his legacy. God gave him wisdom. He was wise beyond anybody else in the existence outside of Jesus himself. And so he says, now, I didn't go so far as to become a complete fool. Now, I don't know if he's talking about specifically he, he just enjoyed alcohol in a way that he didn't give up his, uh, you know, his, um, his ability. Like, he didn't get drunk. I don't know if that's what he's saying, or if he's saying, like, he didn't go so far as to just turn his life into a mess as an addict. Either way, I think, I actually think it's both. I think he, he, he drank in such a way that, that, he, that he didn't get drunk. Like, I think he's probably doing, like, the wine stuff where you, like, shake it and smell it and spit it. I don't understand that, but that, some people do, and they seem to think that's a big deal, right? The, they're going to gonna, the tour, and if that's you, like, you, maybe you teach me. I don't think my palate's that sophisticated, but it's just all wine to me, right? All, so is coffee. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I'm just never going to be the coffee snob. My palate just doesn't, just doesn't get it. So I, I think he's there, like he's just trying to find wine. Like he's probably got a wine cellar that's legit. I don't understand wine cellars. Like we, bottle, we buy a bottle of wine, we drink it. Like it's, it's it. Like we don't, we, don't, we don't roll that way, but, but some people do. Like he's got a legit wine. So I think he went that route, but I think he also probably went like, let me, let me just... Let me just go for it. Let me go all the way. I, it, both of those things, and what does he say? Vanity. Vanity. What, point, what is the point of life? Verse 4, I made great works. So, he, listen, I'm going to build stuff. I, in the pandemic, when everybody was stuck at home, like home goods store, like 
lumber yards, plant stores. It went nuts, right? Everybody's bored. Everybody's like, well, let me do something, right? The government sent us money. Let's just let's, let's do some stuff, right? He's like, let me, let me make great works. He built great houses and planted vineyards for myself. So he's going he's gonna to work on his home, right? He's, he said, listen, like he built a temple for God. He built an incredible home for himself. I think I read somewhere there's like 153,000 people, slaves and employees working for him, building his home. It's, it's incredible. It's beyond, like it, we would all gawk at it, right? There's those homes you just drive by and you just like talk about and, and, and you wonder what it's like on the inside and you wonder who lives there. Or if you know, then you, like it, it, we would all gawk at his home. It's, it's, it's a historical Home. Like, it, it's, it's beyond what we could even imagine. This is his house, right? So, so he turns, you know what, maybe it's square footage that I need, right? Again, this is all like what's going to satisfy my soul, my heart. He, so he, he's gone to alcohol. He's, he's just tried to enjoy a party, laughter, alcohol. And he goes, you know what, that, that wasn't working. Let me, let, me, let me make my house nice. Let me expand my square footage. Let me expand my real estate portfolio. I'm going to build houses, plant vineyards, right? He's, he's building out his property investment like he's got vineyards now. Uh, he says, and I make myself gardens and parks, right? So th- his landscape is a little bit different than ours. He's not just doing a flower bed here and there. This guy's making gardens and parks. That's how they have to describe what he's doing. Like, it's, it's a legit undertaking of, of beauty and, and building out. And, and he planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. And, it, and I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He's, he's working in irrigation and and a watering system to, to sustain these things. It's, it's, a, it's a, like, technology beyond what anybody's known here, the, the way that he's building out this, this home and all these things. He says, I, I tried it all, right? I, I bought male and female slaves, right? I need people to work for me, doing all the stuff you don't want to do. You ever think about that? If I just didn't have to do dishes, I might be a happier person. If I didn't have to do laundry, if I have to mow the yard, whatever it is for you, right, I might be a happier person. If I didn't have to clean these walls or, or you know, change them, whatever it is, right, whatever you just, think about it. In the last week, you fussed about something in your home, right, something you had to do. He's just like, farm it out. None of it. He didn't do any of it, right? He's just giving it, giving it to somebody, like more and more slaves, workers. He's, he says, I got a bunch of them, right? I got male slaves, female slaves, slaves who were born in my house. I bought them. I have great, great possessions of herds and flocks. I've got all kinds of stuff. We'll, um, we'll, we'll look at possessions and work another week. Um, today we're just going to focus on pleasure, but there's, there's overlap and layers here. But he says, listen, I got to the point where it's more, at the end of verse 7, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. Like King David was a big deal. He's saying, listen, nobody in the world has, has known the kind of life and the kind of means that I've known. We, we saw last week, he's like, he, he's kind of, I think he feels both a personal quest here, but I think he also feels an obligation to figure this out for people. Like he, I think he's trying to say, like, I want to know what's good. Like, he, he kind of says, last week we looked at, he goes, if not me, then who? Right? If I can't figure out what, what's good in life, then what, somebody behind me is not going to be as wise as me, not going to be as rich as me, not going to be as well off and blessed by God as me. So let me try it all. So he goes, I, I got there. I've arrived at this place where I've got more than anybody else. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and, and the treasure of kings and provinces. Right? Again, we'll talk about money another week. Uh, but, and, then, and then he goes, listen to this at the end of verse 8, i got singers. Now, this is weird for us. You probably don't have personal singers because you have Spotify, but they didn't. So he goes, I want to be entertained. So what does he do? He starts IGT, Israel's Got Talent. Right? He just like... He, you just thought that was new. It said earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. He was doing it long before that, right? Because there's no media in that way, but he wants to be entertained. So he's going to bring in the best of the best, come and perform for him. And, and you've got to think, I, I mean, I'm joking, but like, you don't just walk up and say, I want, to, I want to sing for Solomon. Somebody's testing you, right? There's a line outside the castle to see, or outside the, the, his house to see if you can make it in, see if you can sing or if your mama just told you you can sing and somebody has to be the Simon Cowell for you, right? So he starts, he's like, I'm going to get singers, both men and women. Entertain me, right? He's got it all at his fingertips. Entertainment, like, entertainment like none of us have ever known. And then concubines. It's a hard word to translate. It's not familiar to our language, but I heard one pastor saying, I think he's probably closest to right. This is stripper girlfriends. Like, 
The dude already has 700 wives. Not exaggerating. It says elsewhere he has up to 300 concubines, stripper girlfriends. He's pleasure. Like, this is hedonism on full tilt. He's going to say in a minute, like, whatever, whatever my eyes desired, verse 10, I didn't keep it from them. See a woman, see a thing, like, let, let, let's do it. Like, let, let's go all in. Like, that, that was his posture. Unlimited amount of sex that he had. Unlimited amount of women, right? Whatever, whatever body type, whatever, like, whatever. He had it at his disposal. The delights of the sons of men. Before, before we just write him off as a monster, let's just translate that to our culture a bit. Right? Because, yeah, he, like, he is grossly defacing what God intended for sex to be. And we'll get to that. But, again, there's nothing new under the sun. He's doing it his way with his means at his time. Men, women, our our internet histories betray us to be well over 300 probably, well over seven, like the amount of pornography that is just pervasive in our world, right? And and again, that's sort of this, yeah, I know there's that dark side of it, but I want you to think even like this, let me figure out what's good about life. We have a culture that's telling us, okay, these are the values, right? We have Hollywood telling us, this is the values. This is what we need out of life. This is what, this is what's progressive and good, right? And we hold these things up and, 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 and listen, what happened a couple years ago at Super Bowl, we have, we got J-Lo and Shakira performing in the name of women's power. And they're dancing and they're dressed like strippers. And we eat it up. It's not just them. Like, that's the image of, here's, here's what's good about life. You, you, Here's what we're saying implicitly. I don't want my girl. My girls were like upstairs playing at a friend's house. They start to come down. I'm like, no, 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 no. Nothing empowering about this. What you're saying to our girls in that moment is if you want to be valuable and have influence and be loved, you need to dress and dance like a stripper. You, you, You see how like we're not we're not as progressed and as advanced as we'd like to think, are we? page just got turned to a different era, a different time. It's just as ludicrous as what we see here from Solomon. And don't act like that doesn't impact our everyday lives. Scroll through social media if you dare. See what our young women are tempted to put out for themselves. See what gets likes or or ask a young woman, hey, what gets likes on Instagram? It's skin. It's, it's, it's dancing like strippers. Right? Do, do you see that like we're in the same, this is what he, he said, he called this in chapter one. He said, it's just a new generation trying the same things, thinking they're better than the last generation. But there's nothing new under the sun. It's all vanity. And it won't, like there's an emptiness that is so clear in that realm more than ever, more than others probably, but there's an emptiness that is so obvious and so clear that it's so heartbreaking what it does to, I mean, you think about those women, like, I mean, there's stories coming out right now about what it was like to live in Hugh Hefner's harem, right? And some of those women are coming out and telling their stories. Well, listen, this was, Solomon was, was way ahead of Hugh. You think you're in the mix of a thousand women? You think you feel valued in his home? You think you feel, no, you think you feel empowered? You mean you probably got some nice things? You probably live well, but there's an emptiness that goes on with that. Right? Like this tells us something. I, I, um, I read somewhere, maybe it was a pastor that I was listening to talk about this very text that said that the, the value of prostitution has dropped so much over the last 100 years that it used to be a pretty profitable way to make a living, and now it's not. Why? Because... 
there's more, there's more people willing to have sex without any money, right? There's more, like the, the, the demand is, is so high and, and it, we, we've, we've lifted and exalted this idea of what it would look like up that the women are just running to, and men are soaking that up. Women are running to give themselves and men are, are soaking that up and we perpetuate this culture of not only vanity, but man, brokenness. Real brokenness. So we shouldn't, glance over that idea of concubines very quickly. The delight of the sons of man. God made women beautiful for his glory and for our joy, but not for that kind of defacing of his good. And so let's move on. We're, we're going to come back to how do we redeem these things um, in a bit. But so I, be, so I became great. Verse 9, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me, right? Even though he acted a fool for years, he didn't become a fool. He's still wise. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. This is what I got. Then I considered all that my hands had done. That, that, that word there, considered, in the Hebrew means to, really, to face up. Like to become honest with, to, to honestly evaluate. So he, he's done this indulgence. And he goes, all right, I want to look at all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, there's emptiness, hangovers, regret, emptiness. All was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Now, to be clear, he's not saying he didn't enjoy himself. Okay? You need to know that. Like, he, he's not acting like these things weren't fun. We have this idea that God's just a cosmic killjoy, right? No, he, he's acknowledging, like, there's pleasure here. But what he's saying is there's an emptiness that comes with it that it, it, it promises. It overpromises, but underdelivers. It, it, it says it will lead to fulfillment, but it actually leads us empty. All of it. All that he tried was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. None of it mattered. Back to the same conclusion. None of it mattered. None of it filled me up. It's not substantive, but it doesn't fill you up. It's like trying to grab the wind. Again, he could say this unlike anybody else. Like he literally tried it all. It's hard for us to imagine the life that Solomon had. I think I compared him the first week. It would be like if we had... Bill Gates, Albert Einstein, and Hugh Hefner rolled into one man like you would want to hear his life story and hear what he concluded after living that way. Not to say we want to be like it, but you would want to be like, man, those would be, that would be worth listening to. This man was uh, at levels that none of us can even fathom. But if we can't connect with him, but for goodness sakes, live with your eyes open. Last week he said the wise, they live with their eyes open, but the fools walk around in the dark. The wise have eyes in their head. That's so what he says. So let's have eyes in our head, church. And if we won't listen to Solomon, let's just look at our world. Let's look at pop culture. Let's look at the celebrity example after example. Not all of them, but many of them who arrive at the pinnacle of the values that our, our culture says are ultimate. Many that arrive there end up showing us that they do not indeed fulfill. Right? We see celebrity after celebrity end up you know, just in a mess, oftentimes in rehab, oftentimes depressed, oftentimes suicidal. I don't mean to make light of this, but we need to observe this. Jim Carrey, a famous quote, and I don't have it up there because I've said it every time we talk about this subject, but, but he says, I wish that everybody could get all the money that they wanted and be able to do all the things that they wanted because then they would realize it's not the answer. That's, that's him doing what Solomon did. I got to the top, and I'm here to tell you, it, there's nothing up here. Don't bother. Right? Over and over again, we have pro sports players who end up just, just broke as can be. We have over and over again these examples proving what Solomon said is true. Brandon Mull put it this way. He said, indulgence is emptiness. To indulge is actually, it, it's emptiness. I prove the limits of food and, and frivolity. There's no real fulfillment in, in meaningless rushes of pleasure. He says, you try to conceal the emptiness with more extravagance, only to find the thrills becoming less satisfying and more fleeting. Most pleasures 
are best as seasoning, not the main course. However you try to disguise it, you end up feeding without being nourished. He says, and you know this to be true. When you try to get fulfillment out of a pleasure, even though you enjoy it in that moment, you, you need it to give you more. This is, if you don't know this, you, you can look at a drug addict. And, and the reason they get addicted is because that experience can't be recreated. So they try to take a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Right? Pornography, same thing. Like all of these pleasures. And what he says is, over time, you try to conceal it with more extravagance, only to find the thrills become less satisfying and more fleeting. The highs aren't as high, and they don't last as long. Have you tried to disguise it? He says you end up feeding without being nourished. So what do we do? This is, this is the conclusion. And Solomon kind of leaves us there, doesn't he? There's a lot of these passages just like, all right, thanks, Penn. Like, I don't know what to do from here. Like, this is not inspiring. This is not motivating. Why is this in the Bible? It's in the Bible. God put it there. Why? What, what's the point? Well, there's a point to all of Scripture. Jesus says in John 5, 39, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he says, you study Scriptures diligently, thinking that in them you'll find life, failing to realize that it's they that, that, that point to me. The day that bear witness about me. So what is he saying? He says the Old Testament, the things you're studying, trying to get wisdom out of so that you'll have life. The whole idea, if you miss this big idea that all Scripture is pointing to Jesus, then Scripture will be vanity too. But if you hear it, as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when he's writing to, to Timothy, he says this, brother. Like, don't forget, like, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the Bible, which you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that's the point of the scriptures, to point us to Jesus, right? Jesus himself says, that's the whole idea of the Old Testament, pointed to me. And then Paul says to Timothy here, like, keep your nose in the scripture, because it's the scriptures that can make you wise into salvation, because they're all about Jesus. So somehow, this is supposed to point us to Jesus, how does this point us to Jesus? And, and I think it is this, I think Solomon wants to keep pushing our logic, keep pushing our, our desires. Let our hearts run free and let him answer the question for us. And he wants to take us there so that we can see. I think he wants us to be left with that, ah, but yeah, but what? That's exactly his point. It, 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 by realizing that nothing in this world will satisfy us, it actually leads us to long for something beyond this world. C.S. Lewis wrote a ton on this, and is the famous quote of, uh, if I find that there's nothing in this world that satisfies me, it, it, it should lead me to believe that I was made for something beyond this world. But um, in that same idea, he says this, that, that our disappointment uh, in our unmet desire, when we have our disappointment and unmet desire, we sort of live in an ontological proof for the existence of God. Meaning, whenever we get all that we think we should, should have and what will satisfy us and it doesn't, that that's actually proof of the existence of God. More poetically, Herbert, George Herbert put it this way in his poem called The Pulley. He says, when God at first made man, having a glass of blessings standing by. He, let us, said he, pour on him all we can. Let the world's riches, which dispersed lie, contract into a span. So strength first made a way, then beauty flowed, then wisdom, honor, pleasure. When almost all was out, God made us stay, perceiving that alone of all his treasure rest in the bottom lay. For if I should, said he, bestow this jewel also on my creature, then he would adore my gifts instead of me and rest in nature, not the God of nature. So both should losers be. Yet let him keep the rest, but keep them with repining restlessness. Let him be rich and weary, that at least if goodness lead him not, Yet weariness may toss him to my breast. It's old English language, and I'm not a poet. I'm not good at reading it either. But his idea, 
that what he's stating is, he's, he's put, painting this picture that when God made us, he gave us blessings on purpose. We're going to get to that. He wants us to enjoy life. But rather than giving us all that our heart would desire, he holds back part of it. Why? So that we don't start resting in the, 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 the nature itself and never get to the God of nature because that's the whole idea. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee, O Lord. This is what Herbert is getting at, is that, that God intentionally made these pleasures vain so that even when we get them, they leave us longing for more. They leave us longing for more so that we will look for more, and that more is Jesus. Like, there's a point. This is God's kindness in this. It's God's kindness that there's not pleasure and fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment and pleasure, so that it will lead us beyond these things, beyond this earth, into the face of Jesus. This is where Solomon wants to push us and push us and push us. Until we have no more hope in this world. And that's a dark place. But in that dark place shines the light of the gospel. In that dark place, Jesus himself steps in and says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. He says, there's a thief that's here to steal, kill, and destroy. You go back to the garden. God made everything good, didn't he? And the thief comes in and tries to steal it away. And, and he comes in and whispers, well, God didn't really want you to enjoy life or he'd let you eat from that. Right? And, it, and it begins to take away from the goodness that God has placed in there. Jesus says, I've come to reverse that. He, he offered you to, to eat this and you'd be fulfilled and it left you empty. See, Satan overpromises. He did it to our first fathers, didn't he? See, take and eat and then you'll know everything God knows and you'll be fulfilled, right? Then, then you'll be like God. And he doesn't want that. He's holding out on you. He says, go ahead and take and eat. What happens? They take and eat, and not only does an emptiness enter, but the whole thing fractures, right? It's a lie. It lets us down. It doesn't come through. He overpromises and, and totally, uh, not only underdelivers, but cuts out our legs underneath us, and we no longer have the, the strength or the ability to stand in firmness of life because we don't know what the purpose of life is because we've been separated from it. Jesus comes along and says, yeah, I know there's a thief. I know he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's done a darn good job. He's jacked up my world but I've come to make all things new. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus says. I want you to have life and I want you to have it abundant. So he says, I know Satan told you to come and eat and you'd be fulfilled. That didn't work out. Here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself. Now take and eat. Take and eat. That's what we just did in communion. Take and eat. Indulge in Jesus and you'll be fulfilled. This is what John Piper built his whole ministry on. It's called Christian hedonism, that actually our, we don't have a desire problem. We don't have a pleasure problem. That's not the issue, right? Our desires and our pleasures are right to be there. God put them there. What we have is a treasure problem. What we have is we have it, like our desires, they're not too small. They're not, they're, they're not too, uh, too big, rather. They're actually too small. Our desires are not overwhelming with their appetite that lead us to indulge in sex and, and, and alcohol and all these things. Rather, they're too small, and they keep us from longing for the ultimate fulfillment, which is God himself. And John Piper says, listen, we should be Christian hedonists. We should be seeking ultimate happiness in everything that we do in God. That God is the gospel, that we shouldn't be content with his stuff. Rather, we should be longing for him himself. And Jesus says, that's what I came to give. That's what I came to give. That's the, old, that's the good news. If you're here and you're visiting with us and you're, you're wondering what Christianity can offer you, it's that. It's, 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 it's Jesus is the only one who could satiate the soul. He's the only one that could actually bring fulfillment to your ultimate longing and craving. We're going to see in a couple weeks that Solomon goes, listen, God put eternity in the heart of man. Like there's something, something being God himself in there that's longing for a reconciliation. And until we find him, as Augustine said, we'll be restless. And we can be depressed by that. We can let life run us down. Or we can be like George Herbert and go, okay, that points us to God himself. That actually points us to the gospel, back to the garden, back to where it was good. That's what you need most. So if you're here checking it out, like you need Jesus. What, it's not that you need to, to be better at, at life. It's not, here's, here's just, this sounds crazy. Your ultimate need is not more self-control and more discipline. But this is what we think so often, isn't it? Like our life stinks because I'm overeating or because I can't get right or I'm not disciplined enough or I'm not making enough money or I'm not this, not that, not this. 
whatever, and we think, well, maybe church can help us get there. If I go to church more, like, but no, our ultimate need is not more self-discipline. It's actually self-surrender. It, it's actually giving up on all of those things and saying, what I need most is Jesus himself. If you read the scriptures through that lens, you're going to see it over and over again. Jesus himself, the parables that he told about the kingdom of heaven, I cite them all the time because I don't think we get them. He says, when we see the kingdom for what it is, when we see the beauty of the gospel, what Jesus is offering us, it will lead us to let go of everything else so that we can just have that. That's what Jesus says, the parable of the, of the treasure in the field, the parable of the, of the pearl, right? Over and over again, he's saying, listen, when we see the beauty there, it will be so compelling to us that we don't care if we have anything else as long as we have that. That's... The problem with pleasure is it can't ultimately satisfy, but it's also the opportunity of pleasure to push us beyond the giver of those pleasures to himself. Okay, so, so that's the gospel. That's the good news. You turn to him. You confess, man, Lord, I've, I've been trying on my own. I've been trying to figure out life, and it's empty. It's vanity. You, can, like, you might be resonating so deeply with Solomon today. If you're here and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you should be like, like Ecclesiastes is a great book for you because you're like, yeah, that's absolutely true. It's vanity. It's not fulfilling. It's empty. But today, that depressing reality that Solomon relates to you on can actually be the opportunity where you go, you know what? Lord, I'm confessing. It is all empty, and I'm turning to you. I'm, I'm, apolog- I'm, I'm re- repenting of that sin, of pursuing life outside of you, and I'm going to turn to you, and you can be saved today. What does that mean? Is it going to be going to, you know, ha- have an awesome life and live like Solomon? No, probably not. But it means that you get switched from a from an empty, impoverished soul trying to get rich on everything the world offers to a rich and full and made whole soul that doesn't care if it has anything that the world offers. That you are born again. He takes out your old heart. He puts in a new new one, and, and you have life with him. He comes in and satiates your soul. He comes in and fulfills your longing. That's the opportunity before you. So when we do that, now we get to let that also lead us to rightly enjoy pleasure. Because, as I said, the book of Ecclesiastes is is actually not just a book to to get us to heaven, right? To to point us to our need for Jesus. It's going to do that. But actually, the, the, the biggest opportunity we have from Ecclesiastes is learning how to live here on earth. And once we have Jesus in place as our ultimate desire, as our ultimate source, now we can go back over this list even and go, you know what? We can rightly enjoy these things with him as our ultimate pleasure. Here's here's why. Because the reason that pleasure is fleeting, the reason it's not ultimately fulfilling is because it's only good when it has boundaries. It's only good when it has, like, not only God as our safeguard, that's at our ultimate. So... we're not trying to get something out of it that it can't give. I think it was the, the quote I read earlier that said, pleasures work best as a seasoning, not the main substance, right? So when we get the substance right, that's Jesus. Now, these other things, these pleasures can become a seasoning to us that, that actually help us to enjoy him even more. So we don't have to go, okay, this is my church thing. I'm going to enjoy God when I pray and when I read the Bible and when I go to church, but I get to enjoy, okay, okay, so I did that, check that off. Now I can go enjoy these fleshly things. I'm going to eat some food, and I'm going to enjoy the marriage bed with my husband or my wife, and I'm going to, you know, enjoy some good wine, some good art, some good entertainment. No, no, no. Th- those aren't separate things. Those aren't on different sides of the deal. It says once you get the substance right, all of these things become a seasoning for the glory of God. They become a seasoning for your relationship with God, and they lead you to worship God, I think that's part of the point of what Solomon wants us to see as well. He, that, here's the deal. You need to come, like, you need to consider, face up with the reality that God made this a pleasurable world, didn't he? He made it good. And he didn't have to, right? Look around. Even in here, there's colors. You realize he didn't have to give us that, right? Life could have functioned just fine without color. How many of you just wake up and go, God, Lord, thank you for color? Taste. He could have given us sustenance, right, without it tasting good. But he chose to give us flavor. 
He could have sex. We could have reproduced without the pleasure, right? But, but he chose to make it pleasurable. Like he has a design for these things. He is not ashamed of us enjoying life. He made it as such. He wired us up in such a way that we, and he gave us this good, good world and says, go enjoy. Like he's not embarrassed by pleasure. He created it. It's all over the sights and sounds. Like it, he gave us He gave us our eyes, our nose, our mouth, our ears, our bodies for a reason. These things aren't wrong. They all sing to the glory of God. So having Jesus as our greatest love and treasure allows us to not only rightly enjoy pleasure and and let it lead us to worship, but it also sets us up to rightly do without pleasure, meaning that we aren't devastated when we never get marriage or therefore don't get to enjoy sex because we have the ultimate thing that sex is the pointer to. We aren't devastated when we, don't, when we don't have the money to make our house look like we dreamed that it would. We know that one day we'll live in a mansion in a world full of riches. We aren't upset when we aren't unable, we're not able to enjoy alcohol with self-control because our heart is full already and we can pursue the Spirit, right? So not only does, does, does he redeem pleasure in such a way that it helps us worship him better, but it actually, so it helps us enjoy pleasure more, but it actually helps us when we don't get the pleasure that we think we need because we have an ultimate fulfillment already. And so we're able to live in a a world that's trying to toss us to and fro, trying to bring us down in a way that we we land on the rock, as we talked about a few weeks ago at Easter, because we have Jesus. So pleasure is a good thing. God gave it to us on purpose, and it has his purposes in mind. But the first and foremost is to show us that it's all vain unless it leads back to God. So now, let's go back through these things as we wrap up, and let's look at how we can enjoy this world and this life in a way that brings glory to God and doesn't lead us into sin and temptation. Because see, that's the temptation with pleasure is to make it an end instead of a means, to think that it is the substance and not the seasoning. And so for each of these things, uh, let's look at just briefly God's good purpose for them, the boundaries that he gives, right? Again, pleasure's only good when it has boundaries. You know that, right? Uh, I, I, like I think maybe it was that same day, like I ate too many Reese's, just full disclosure. I'm a messed up dude, right? And, and, and that is my fault a lot of times. Um, um, so, but I was like sick. Like I came home and I was like, you don't want to eat dinner? I was like, no, I feel miserable. <laughs> like, and then I was here for an Eagle Scout event and Kim May made this amazing peanut pie that I love. And I was like, I can't even eat that. I can't even eat it. Why? Because I need boundaries, right? One Reese's bar was enough, but I didn't feel like I wanted more. (laughs) I ate like four of them. I'm a terrible, I was sick. Listen, we need boundaries. When God gives us law, when he gives us commands, we say this all the time, he's never trying to take from us, right? God's commands, he's always trying to lead us to life. He's never trying to steal from us. He's never trying to take from us. That's the enemy's job. He came to give us life. So when it comes to pleasure, when it comes to laughter, is that a bad thing? No. Laughter's a great thing, right? There's Proverbs saying it's good for the soul. It's the best medicine. There's all kinds of research about, you know, what's, what's going to heal your depression and your lack of sleep and all these things. And a lot of doctors are like, hey, go outside and go on a walk. Hang out with some good friends. Have a good laugh. Like, it's the best medicine. Like, it's actually a good thing. Now, there's bad laughter. You can be making fun of other people. You can be putting other people down. That's not healthy for you or them. That doesn't mean that all laughter is bad, right? Get some good friends that make you laugh and schedule time with them on purpose. Don't apologize for it. Figure it out in your life. Say, I need to be with these people. That doesn't mean you're only with those people because you need to be with people who need you too. You need to be with people down line that you're, you're helping walk into relationship with the Lord. That's how community works. But it's okay for you to need to be around people that give you life and make you laugh. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. Okay? Laughter's a good it, 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 And it, like, we should be able to laugh with each other at ourselves or at whatever happens in the world. And that should cause us to worship. When you're enjoying a good laugh with somebody, you should go, man, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this night. When you go to a gathering and, and you have just the best time, there should be a switch that flips in you. You go, Lord, thank you. Because again, he didn't have to make life that way. But he did. My kids are watching some Animal Planet the other day and just watching how they operate. And, and they don't have these capacities, right? They're surviving. Our life could be that way. 
But no, he gives us joy. He gives us these pleasures, right? So, so laughter, it's, it's not a bad thing. Pleasure, it's not a bad thing, right? Wine, alcohol. If you grew up Baptist, you need to know the Bible doesn't say that alcohol is a bad thing. So it's a good gift given to God, given by God to people, for his people to enjoy life. He says, uh, God gave us wine to gladden the heart of men. Paul tells Timothy, hey, you might need to drink a little wine. It'll make you feel better. You got stomach issues. Drink, drink a little wine. Jesus, come on, y'all. He didn't turn those gallons of, 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 of water into grape juice. Stop it. <laughs> Jesus brought the party. Gallons upon gallons of water. He goes, water? I don't drink water. Wine, party, right? Now, there's boundaries. So it's given to us for our good to enjoy life, but there's boundaries. It says don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. Some of y'all need to hear that because you come to a church like ours that doesn't condemn alcohol and you've used it as a licensure to drink all you want and say, oh, it's no big deal. God doesn't condemn alcohol. Stop it. He does condemn drunkenness. So some of y'all need to repent because you're taking a good gift from God and misusing it. You're outside of his bounds. He gave you that boundary for your own good. It will harm you. Proverbs also say wine, is, like, uh, wine and, and strong drink is a, is a mocker. I don't need to explain that to you, right? You know when you go too far, when you have too much, you end up getting mocked. Alcohol's going, uh-huh, you're an idiot. What did I even do? I don't know. Ask a friend. Yep, verified, idiot. You don't ever call somebody on the other side of that and go, you know what? You actually were just talking really smartly, and like, everybody in the room was really enlightened, and I think you changed the world. <laughs> you never get that report, right? It's always like, yep. You're right. You're an idiot. Wine's a mocker. Like, you go too far, it brings harm to you. There's boundaries, but it's a good thing, right? This is, like, we, we go on, let's, I want to talk about, I want to talk about specifically alcohol and sex, and we, we, we're running out of time, but there's, there's these other things. But I, I need you to know this, too. If you grew up Baptist, same thing. I'm picking on the Baptist because I grew up Baptist. If you grew up Baptist, sex is not a bad thing. Some of y'all didn't know to not send your, like, to send your kids to Journey Kids today. I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because when we say something that God created and gave to us as a gift is wrong and filthy and nasty, we're in just as much sin than those who live in the debauchery. God has given us a gift of sex for our good. Right? For our good and for his glory. He didn't have to make it pleasurable, but he did. Now, there's boundaries, right? It's very clear instruction on how you're to enjoy sex within marriage, between a man and a woman in marriage. That's it. That's where the gift is allowed to be utilized. That's where it's blessed. But when you're told it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, wrong, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and then you get married and you're like, wait, is it okay now? I've counseled with too many couples that are like, I, I, I don't know, I don't have any freedom here. I've been told it's wrong for so long, now I just flip a switch and I'm supposed to enjoy this? No, church, we've got that wrong. We need to be a people who are, who are rightly teaching about the goodness of sex within marriage. That how that God, didn't, it's, not just, it, it's not just like two people, you know, being physical together. There's a, there's a, there's a lot going on there. My wife and I recorded a podcast a couple years ago. You can find it on Fermented Faith. We did a two-part thing talking about taking back sex because God has given us this good gift. And in sex, there's, 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 there's all this, this uh, chemical firing off that's going on, right? You have obvious, which is dopamine, which is pleasure, right? You, and when you get hits of dopamine, you're trained to want more of that, right? That's why you pick your phone up 17 times a day because when you get a message, you get a dopamine hit, right? You, did I feel that? Did it vibrate? Nope. Okay, just nope. Right? We do it all the time because we're, we're trained for that. So dopamine goes off. Why? Because in marriage, you're supposed to want more. It's supposed to drive you together. Desire more, drive it together, right? Beyond that, oxytocin is being released. That's, that's the bonding hormone. I think Rob Landis calls it the hug hormone. The, the most beautiful picture of what's, what that hormone does is it's what's going on between the baby and a mama during breastfeeding. It's bonding them. 
That's what God has for us in sex. In marriage, it's supposed to bond us together. It's supposed to keep us coming together. Other things are going to try to drive us apart, right? The way that he chews, the way that he never puts his towel on the hook, right? The way that, you know, I don't know, she does the, I don't, loads the dish. I don't know what it is, but those things are going to drive you apart. The beauty of sex is it drives us back together. It keeps us longing for one another. That's God's good gift, right? So, so that's the idea. This ecstasy that we experience is intentional from God. It's, it's meant to bond us. But when you do that with people who you aren't married to, there's no security there. right? When you do that with multiple partners, you undercut its purposes, and it leaves you empty, it leaves you with vanity. It leaves you longing for more, right? So some of you are, rightly, are wrongly using God's good gift of sex, and you need to repent. You could chuckle at the people that are drinking too much earlier, but no, it's your turn now. If you're wrongly using the good gift of sex, you need to repent. What does that mean? You're looking at porn, you need to repent. You, if you're enjoying that pleasure anywhere outside of your marriage with your spouse present about you and, and, and that spouse, you need to repent. But when you are enjoying it, you should worship. You're like, well, that seems weird. I don't know if I should sing. You probably shouldn't. It would be weird. But is it weird, is it weird to enjoy that and then go, man, God, thank you? No, it's not. Right? We should, enjoy, we should go, my goodness. The Lord is awesome. Thank you. Right? So... This is pleasure. Same thing. Some of y'all are like, when Solomon was building this stuff, you're like, man, I really like me some HGTV. Let me, I want to build this. I want to change that. I want to landscape this, right? Whatever. Not wrong. Just can't be ultimate, right? It's not going to fulfill you. God made you a creator and a cultivator. He put, you realize he put them in a garden and said, go, go, uh, like, make it good. So that's not wrong either. Same thing. You just go down the list here. They're not wrong things, but when you make them the end instead of the means, when you make them the substance instead of the seasoning, it's going to let you down. But then beyond that, having Jesus, as I said earlier briefly, allows us to not only rightly use and enjoy pleasure, but also uh, rightly not have it. So when you're not married and you can't enjoy that pleasure, does that mean your life is less than? No. Jesus himself lived a very fulfilling life with women who were hanging on his every word, and yet he did not indulge. Right? Paul was single. Like, you go on and on. Like, no. And so having Jesus helps me go, okay, well, I'm not less than if I don't get to enjoy that pleasure. I'm not less than if I can't have the, the landscaping that my neighbor does. If, if my home isn't, you know, if I don't have the square footage that I long for. No, I'm not less than because I have the thing. I have the ultimate gift. His name is Jesus. And it is not wrong for us to seek pleasure and reward in him. A couple of verses as we wrap up. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So not just faith to believe in that he exists, but also that he rewards us. Like there, there's an unashamed invitation, even command to long for reward in God. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean, okay, if I just make myself happy at church, then he'll give me the, you know, the Porsche that I want at home, or I'll give me the, the spouse that I want at home. No, no. He says, when you, like, when you delight yourself in him, that will inform the desires of your heart. So what he's saying is, when you're struggling with a pleasure, having too much power over your life, you don't have a pleasure problem, you have a treasure problem. I don't have as much time to unpack that as I'd hope, but but when you delight yourself in the Lord, then you get to enjoy life to the fullest. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's our Jesus. Pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. Help us to sort out all of our circuits that are blown because our world has told us this is good. Our church has told us this is bad. Your word is saying this. Help us to rightly view the pleasures that you have given us, to repent where we need to repent, to turn to you, maybe for the first time or just as a, as a, as a rededication saying, Lord, I, 
I'm turning to you. You are my life, and I'm sorry for where I've sought secondary pleasures as the substance of my hope, and I need you. Lord, help us to do all of that. We come to you in Jesus' name now. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a final song. If you need to process, repent, um, receive Jesus for the first time, I'll be over here. Chad will be over there. We've got community group leaders that will fall in as well. We would love to pray with you. If you just want to enjoy the altar by yourself, you come right on up. Uh, we're going to sing uh, one final song, and this is your opportunity to respond.